Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Every Sunday, uh, when I'm headed home from church, one of the first things I do is I ask my wife, uh, what she thought of the sermon. And uh, if, if any of you know Catherine very well, you know that she's very honest. And uh, sometimes she'll, she'll tell me she didn't agree with something or I said something in a way that didn't make sense or whatever. She'll just tell me uh, straight. And I appreciate the fact that she's honest with me, sometimes not in the moment, uh, but overall I do. Uh, one of the comments that she's made a couple of times when I've asked her for feedback is that I sounded a bit harsh. Uh, and I always respond by asking, was the text harsh? Because if my job is to teach, teach the text, and the text that I'm teaching is hard and bold and uncomfortable, and then I teach it in a soft and gentle manner, I don't feel I've really done my job. Uh, it's not to say every text in the Bible is harsh. If I'm preaching from Psalm 23 and I make it some convicting sermon, I probably distorted that text. Uh, but there are some hard texts, and such is the case with the one we have before us today. And uh, now that I have your attention, we'll start from reading in verse 49. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. Now, if you were to ask most Christians, why did Jesus come to earth? They would not respond with, to cast fire on us. Uh, And to be fair, that's not the only reason Jesus came. Here are a few texts where Jesus himself tells us why it is that he came to earth. Matthew 9.13, for example, he said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus came for sinners. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So he came for those who were lost. John 12, verse 46, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So from those texts, Jesus came to call those in darkness to come into the light. He came to pull those who were lost in their sins to repent and believe the gospel so that they might have their lives transformed. Uh, John 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus came to call those in darkness to come into the light. He came to pull those who were lost in their sins and transform them so that they would live abundantly. Again, Jesus speaking in John 3, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so we see clearly the reason that Jesus came into the world was to save people, uh, to give eternal life to whoever would believe on him. And how is that all going to be accomplished? How does Jesus coming to earth help those who are lost, those who are sinners, those who are in darkness? How does his coming to earth give new life and eternal life to those who believe on him? Mark 10 verse 45 answers that question. Jesus again speaking, he says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So ultimately, the answer to the question, why did Jesus come to earth, was for the cross. Jesus came to die on the cross in order to rescue us from our sins. We're all sinners. We all deserve the punishment of God against us for our our sins. And Jesus came to take that punishment on himself. That's why the cross is so important to our faith. As Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So that would be maybe what most of us would think of if you were to ask, why did Jesus come to earth? Why was he born in Bethlehem? Uh, What was the reason for all of that? Uh, Most of us probably would say he came to die on a cross to save people from their sins. But there's another reason. Uh, There's another thing that Jesus came, and our text in Luke says he came to cast fire on the earth. Fire is often a picture in the Bible of God's judgment, uh, which fits very neatly with the context that we've studied the last couple of weeks. You remember last week, the preceding text, Jesus had pronounced judgment on those who would not be ready at his return. And this, is, this idea that Jesus would, would come and bring judgment uh, fits what John the Baptist said of Christ in Luke chapter 3. He said, as the people were in expectation, all were questioning their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. Speaking of Christ, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his uh, threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So Jesus did come to seek and to save the lost, but his ministry also resulted in the judgment of God against those who rejected him. And so the coming of Christ has this double effect. Uh, Fire consumes that which is combustible and it purifies that which is non-combustible. And so is the coming of Christ. To those who believe in his message and become his followers, they are given abundant life. To those who reject him, they are consumed. John 9, verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and and those who see may become blind. So the coming of Christ divided people into two groups. Those who had eyes to see and who embraced Christ and his message, and then others who would reject him. And this is what Jesus goes on to say in verse 51 of our text. Do you think that I have come to bring, uh, to give peace on earth? And most of us would say, uh, yes, <laughs> of course, that's what Jesus came for. He came to bring uh, peace. Uh, he's the prince of peace after all. And he says, no, I tell you, but rather division. <clears throat> and there is a sense in which Jesus did bring peace. We're going to get to that later. Just kind of file that away in your mind. But in terms of the day-to-day living of the people, the coming of Christ did not bring peace at all. Uh, it brought incredible division. Verse 52, Jesus continues, For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. The point of all of that is saying that the coming of Christ caused great division among the Jews. There were some who embraced Christ, and they were kicked out of the synagogues. They were defellowshipped from the rest of Judaism. In some cases, they were even killed for their conversion to Christ. Families would be split. Some would devote their lives to follow Jesus, and others would reject him as a false teacher. Jesus was a very divisive figure, and he remains divisive to those who really know him. Our our modern culture has tried to shape Jesus into a, a soft, inclusive teacher who basically stands for nothing and is just loving and tolerant of everything. But such a notion is far from what Jesus is really like. Just open up one of the gospel accounts and read uh, from Jesus' own words. And you'll quickly realize that he said a lot of things that would not be considered politically correct in our day. The religion of the culture today is tolerance. Everyone has their own truth. And uh, who are you to question 
what some other teacher might say. Can't all religions be equally true? Uh, Jesus answered that question pretty clearly back in John chapter 3. He said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Those verses very straightforwardly are simply saying, if you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, you are saved. And if you are not a Christian, you are condemned. It is that straightforward. John 5 verse 12, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Uh, That could not be stated any more clearly. If Christianity is true, and if Jesus is a true teacher, then all other religious systems are false. Because one of the clearest teachings of Jesus is that there is no other way to heaven. There is no other true worship of God except through him. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want to talk about a a non-tolerant, non-politically correct statement. Our culture would be uh, furious if such a person said such a thing today. The only way to worship God is through Jesus Christ. And that kind of radical, exclusive truth claim is what made Jesus so divisive. The Bible is crystal clear on this point. There are those who follow Jesus and go to heaven, and there are those who don't follow Jesus and are condemned to hell. And don't listen to anyone who tells you uh, anything different. Paul and, and John, many times in their letters, warn us to watch out for wolves in sheep's clothing, people who would come into the church and start teaching things contrary to the gospel of Jesus. Uh, Listen to the words from Paul in Galatians 1, some of the strongest words in the New Testament. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Anyone who claims that there is salvation apart from Jesus Christ, Paul says, let him be accursed. Again, some of the strongest language in the New Testament is against the person who would persuade others that the gospel isn't true or that Jesus isn't God. And so Jesus necessarily divides people. Maybe you've heard it said before, uh, the things that unite us are more important than the things that divide us. It's certainly true when we're talking about uh, how we relate to other believers, But there is nothing that separates people more than one person who's a follower of Jesus and another who rejects him. They will have different goals. They will have different morals. They will have entirely different standards of truth. And so Jesus divides all of humanity. There is no neutral ground with Christ. He said very clearly in an earlier text we studied some months ago, you're either with him or you're against him. You either follow him as Lord or you face him as judge. Now, at this point, Jesus transitions to talking about the weather. And this can seem like uh, kind of a weird shift. In verse 54, he says to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. In Israel, a a cloud rising from the west would be a storm coming from the Mediterranean Sea. And so when they saw a cloud rising from the sea, notice it says, you say at once. They knew instantly, oh, a shower is about to come our way. Verse 55, when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. A south wind, again in Israel, would be wind coming from the desert that was directly south of them, bringing scorching heat into the land of Israel. The point of this is verse 56. He continues, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? 
In other words, how can you draw a right conclusions from very little evidence, like a cloud in the sky? You know instantly what's going to happen. But you can't see the obvious reality of who Christ is in light of the overwhelming evidence. These Jews of Jesus' day had seen him heal the sick and feed thousands with a small meal. They had seen him raise dead people back to life, and yet they still didn't get it. They were blinded by their hatred of Christ. And such rejection of Jesus in light of the clear evidence was the grounds for their coming judgment. You remember last week's text, Jesus said, to whom much is given, much will be required. Those who had seen the many signs and miracles of Christ and still refused to believe his message, they would be judged the most severely for their obstinance. And so we see here in this text that Jesus is transitioning at this point in his ministry. He's been extending uh, for the last almost three years uh, this call, this invitation to come and follow him. And now he's starting to transition to condemnation toward those who had rejected him. In other words, he says, you guys have seen enough. Uh, you've seen the evidence. You've seen me, my miracles. Uh, you've, you have all the signs you ever need, and yet you're still rejecting. And so the door was closing for that generation. And God's judgment against them was soon to come. I've mentioned this several times, but within that generation of Jews, from AD 66 to AD 70, hundreds of thousands of Jews in Israel would be killed by the Romans. Uh, The temple was destroyed, and Judaism was never the same from that point forward. The Jews uh, have never had an animal sacrifice or any of those things from from that time nearly 2,000 years ago when their temple was destroyed. And this was the fire of God's judgment. Jesus predicted all of these things saying that this judgment of God would come against them for their rejection of the Messiah. And so our text ends in verse 57 with a final appeal to repent. Jesus says, Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. This is a a mini parable of Jesus. This text that we've seen is all about God's judgment on sinners and Jesus' point with this talk of settling with the accuser before you have to stand before the judge is pointing back to the text from last week where Jesus said that everyone will one day stand before God. We owe God a a debt and we should settle that debt now before it's too late. And so he's saying there, Uh, All of you have sinned. We've all violated God's laws. We stand condemned as guilty before God. And Jesus came to give us a way of escape. And so you have the option. He's giving them this option. You can settle with me now, or you can face God on judgment day. And he's saying it would be very wise for you to make things right with God now and to follow Christ instead of waiting to stand before God. Now, earlier, uh, some of you might have noticed, if you were really paying attention, that I skipped verse 50. I don't often do that, but we're going to go back there because I wanted to finish with this. Verse 50 says, I have a baptism, Jesus says, to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Now, the baptism here is not referring to a literal baptism in water. Jesus had already been baptized years prior in the Jordan River. Uh, What he's talking about here is the cross. Uh, The word baptized in Greek means to immerse or to cover fully, to be plunged in. Uh, By the way, that's one reason we don't sprinkle here, uh, because the word baptize itself means to immerse. And so uh, Jesus, it seems like he is saying he has to go through something that will be overwhelming. Notice the rest of the verse, how great is my distress until it is accomplished. You could understand it as his immersion under God's judgment. 
Jesus would be judged by God the Father on the cross for our sins. He was about to be uniquely inundated with God's judgment against sin as he's killed on the cross. And so he's looking to that future, knowing what's, what's, what's ahead of him. He's going to be crucified. He's going to bear the punishment for the sins of the world. And he says, his distress is great until it is accomplished. This sounds like the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus prays to the Father in Luke 22, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. On the cross, Jesus took on himself the sins of the world. God the Father punished Jesus for those sins. He took in himself the punishment that we deserved. And so here is the text, uh, kind of in a nutshell. All of us are sinners in the sight of a holy and perfect God. We will all stand before God on Judgment Day and have to answer for the debt of sin that we owe. We all have two options. Uh, We can face the judge or we can settle now. We can pay the debt ourselves or we can let Jesus pay it for us. We can settle the debt of sin we have built up by placing our faith in Jesus' death on the cross and becoming a follower of him. Or we can face God without settling the debt and be judged eternally in hell. Now, back to the peace question, because we said there is a sense in which Jesus did come to bring peace. We've already seen that that the coming of Christ divides people, right? Some embrace him as Lord and Savior, others reject him. But there is a sense in which the coming of Christ and his death on the cross did bring peace. And this is not referring to peace with one another, peace with human beings. But the peace that Jesus brought was between us and God. This is what Isaiah prophesied of Christ in Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquities of us all. So Jesus Christ was punished for our sins. He took our guilt on himself on the cross. And in exchange, we are offered peace with God. Colossians 1 verse 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We can have peace with God because Jesus came and died. This is ultimately the the meta-narrative of Scripture. This is the story of the Bible. You start in the first few pages of Genesis, you find that God created the world. He created everything in it. And humans rebelled against their creator and they fell into sin. And that sin, as you continue reading through the Old Testament, separated people from God. He was no longer able to have that relationship with us that he intended at creation. And that's why Jesus came to earth. God became a human in order to take on himself our guilt and our punishment. And because of his death on the cross, we are able to have our sins forgiven and the relationship with God restored. That's the story of the Bible. It's about how God has made a way for sinners to be made right with him so that we can live eternally with God. Uh, One final text, 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus came to bring peace to those who follow him and judgment on those who reject him. And the question for each of us today is, which side of that divide are we going to be on? Now, for those of us who are followers of Christ, many of you in this room have committed yourself to be a disciple of Jesus. Let me offer a point of application for us. 
Jesus said some very hard things in this text. Uh, This is one of those texts when I read through it and I think, oh boy, I have to get up and preach that. Uh, He said some very uncomfortable, uh, bold statements. Jesus was very divisive. If if he was here on earth today saying these types of things, uh, he would be called intolerant and narrow-minded. But because Jesus was so divisive, he forced people to make a decision about him. And he would unapologetically condemn anyone who denied him. And as Christians, uh, we need to learn to have the boldness to speak the truth, especially truth about heaven and hell, uh, especially truth about the exclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't back down from saying that there is no salvation or eternal life apart from belief in Jesus and submission to his lordship. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, he was a Roman Catholic. Please don't take this as a, uh, an endorsement of him at all. But he did say some very profound things. He lived about 100 years ago. And uh, while I would have some theological differences with him for sure, I do very much so agree with this statement of his. He said, what we suffer from today is humility in the wrong place. Modesty has moved from the organ of ambition and settled upon the organ of conviction where it was never meant to be. It's not a virtue to be timid about absolute truth. I think sometimes the reason we fail to push people to make a decision one way or the other for Jesus is we're too shy about things that the Bible is clear on. And so for us as followers of Jesus, we must follow the example of John the Baptist, of Jesus, of Peter, of Paul, of all of those that God's used throughout history of the church. Uh, They were used because they had the boldness to speak the truth unapologetically. I mean, if Martin Luther had been uh, politically correct, the Reformation would have never happened. But he had the boldness to speak the truth. We must be humble in our opinions and firm in our convictions. Because heaven and hell are at stake. Peace with God or judgment from God hang in the balance. And so as followers of Christ, let's be bold in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Father, I do pray that just from this simple text, this reading of your word, that you would help each of us to be challenged, first of all, with the question, do we believe this? Are we truly believing the truth that that you are God, that you sent your son to die for us, that we could be redeemed, that we could be forgiven of our sins and given eternal life? We know this is the truth. It's taught over and over throughout scripture. I pray that everyone in this room would make that decision right now. Are we going to follow Christ? Are we going to embrace him as Lord or reject him? Because there is no neutral ground. And God, I pray for each of us as Christians that you would give us the boldness to proclaim the truth to a world that in many cases doesn't want to hear it, Uh, that we would have the boldness to push people to make that decision, and that you'd give us a clarity of thought, that we'd be firm in our convictions, uh, that we'd have humility, and certainly in in many areas we need humility in our opinions, Uh, we need humility on all sorts of things, but when it comes to uh, the fact that Jesus is God, that you died on the cross, that you bore our sins in yourself, Uh, That is something we need to stand firm about, and we need to be unapologetic about. I pray that you'd give us this boldness in the name of Christ. Amen. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.